Hi, and welcome to Good Content, a podcast about living out our faith more boldly through radical love. I'm Alex. And I'm Erin. And we're so glad you're with us. For this second episode, we'll be discussing racism and police brutality as a pro-life issue. But first, Alex, is, is it time? Is it time for our song to slap? It is time for the song to slap. Let's go. Welcome, welcome, welcome. welcome. Is that going to be the new second opening where we just sing welcome, welcome, welcome? I think so. Only if you do it in like a fun tune every time. So, I don't know, maybe like trying to think of a fun song or a funny song. I'm pretty pitchy though. Pitchy. Wow, I think you're being really judgy of your voice right now. Pitchy, not with a B, with a P. Pitchy. Can you, can you be pitchy if you are making up the pitches? I don't even know what a pitch is. <laughs> <laughs> you were in choir. Yeah, in freshman year. Like, that's... Is that... I don't know. You sing beautifully. That's maybe a logical fallacy. Uh, actually, it's not. Like, remember the time that you sang Colors of the Wind? <laughs> Beauty. <laughs> you sound like um, someone in a musical when you sing. And I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean it in, a, in the best way possible. That's funny because it could have been a veiled insult from you. I know, but it wasn't. <laughs> I know that it sounds like that because you know how I despise musicals. But you know how they sound so beautiful and like light, their, their voices? That's how yours sounds when you sing. I mean, thank you. And that means a lot to me coming from someone who sings like a Disney princess. That's not true. I don't sing like a Disney princess. It's true. I always imagine like woodland creatures come into you when you sing. Yeah, they tell me to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're so glad that you guys are here again with us. Yeah. We're so glad. Um, we, we are excited to talk to you about this topic. Mm -hmm. Um, so just getting us started out, I, I want to say the names of some people that are really important. Um, Rayshard Brooks. Ahmad Arbery. Breonna Taylor. Tony McDade. George Floyd. Um, and these are just a few of like the myriad of people who have been killed because of racism. Um, and we want to talk about that today. Um, so I want to give a little bit of background for those of you maybe listening who don't uh, or maybe aren't keeping up with all the news um, or maybe who just uh, haven't wanted to, to read the news. Um, George Floyd is a name that we've been hearing for like weeks now. Um, in May, um, he was he was held down for eight minutes and 46 seconds by a police officer named Derek Chauvin. Um, he was handcuffed 
face down on the street and three other policemen watched as he was murdered. Um, the police had been called to the scene to investigate him potentially using a counterfeit $20 bill. And the video footage of Mr. Floyd gasping for breath, saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, and calling for his mother, who's been dead, um, it sparked national outrage. Um, his name became somewhat of a, a rallying cry for all of us. Um, and then there's Ahmaud Arbery, right? He was 25 years old. He was fatally shot while he was out for a jog. Um, he was killed by an ex-cop and his son. Um, they were armed residents of the neighborhood that he was jogging in, and they acted on a self-described gut feeling that this young black man was responsible um, for previous thefts in the area, which he was not. Um, Breonna Taylor. She was 26. She was fatally shot eight times in the middle of the night while she was sleeping in her home. Uh, this happened in Louisville. Um, the Metro Police over in Louisville um, forced entry into her into her apartment um, with a no-knock warrant for a drug raid. They were at the wrong house. The two people they were searching for had been arrested earlier that afternoon. Tony McDade, 38, shot by the police in Tallahassee, Florida. The officers gave no warning before firing shots at Mr. McDade, who they believed could be a suspect for a crime earlier that day. The officer who killed Tony McDade is still unnamed. He remains protected by Florida law. So, why are we reading about these people? Why are we doing it? This is an issue that is facing us as a country, as the United States, um, other nations as well, but most especially the United States, and that includes the Catholic Church in the United States, because what killed these individuals is racism. Mm -hmm. It's police brutality yeah. that is directly related to racism. Um, each one of them enabling the other. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten to a point, it has been at a point where it's unsafe to be a black person existing in the United States. And we firmly believe that this is a pro-life issue. I totally echo what Aaron's saying. You know, we, we do believe, as two pro-life Catholics sitting right next to each other, well, across from each other, <laughs> <laughs> um, that this is a pro-life issue. Um, and as Catholics who believe in the church and the tenets of pro-life advocacy, we have to speak out about this, the way we speak out about the unborn, 
Um, we, as a church, we have to speak up because if we don't, more lives are going to be lost the way that more children's lives will be lost in abortion clinics. This is a similar issue, if not the exact same issue. The only difference is that the unborn are not born yet. Um, and people like Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, and now recently Rayshard Brooks, those folks already have, they're already walking around out here. They have lives already. Um, the unborn already have dignity and, um, and souls. That's why we try to save them. Um, and we should also save people who are already breathing, <laughs> people who are already walking around out here. Those lives are important too. Um, yeah, when we talk about being pro-life, I think it's important to define what that means. Absolutely. And yeah, um, I think, as you were saying, Alex, so often we think of it only in terms of people who are not born yet. Um, and usually, I, mean, I think the second most common is um, people who are elderly and or um, have disabilities, mm -hmm. um, people who are in danger of being euthanized, mm -hmm. um, you know, in concert with their will or against their will. Mm -hmm. But those are really the two most, what we consider the most vulnerable groups. Right. But when we talk about being pro-life, we talk about protecting the right to life and the right to full human dignity that allows a person to live with the fullness for which God has created them. And I mean the fullness, the way that he came to give us life and give it to the full. We, pro-life advocacy aims to give every person from their conception up until their natural death the full right to that dignity. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously the right to just continue to be alive. And that's why racism and police brutality and the the tendency of police to murder people, that is a pro-life issue. Totally. It becomes this sort of will they, won't they kind of game. Like when the cops come, will they kill you? Will they not? Um, so some people say that racism is a thing of the past. No. <laughs> right, they're like, oh, we're like, we've made strides, we're better. I mean, you, you can't make that kind of comparison. Like, usually the people who are saying that, always the people who are saying that, it's, it's white people who do not experience racism, do not want to reckon with the past, with their complicity with the past, and with the privileges that they continue to enjoy at the expense of Black people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and this sort of leads us into our next point, right? Where we're going to talk about, because racism is such a, 
it's a nebulous word. Yeah. Right? Like, when someone says racism, like, that needs more identifier. That needs some qualifiers, right? So we want to talk about, in particular, covert and overt racism and how it shows up in the church and in the world. Um, I think I'll start off with talking about where I'm from. Just a little bit. So I am a black woman. Um, I hail from old country, Tennessee. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with Tennessee, my state is the state in which the KKK, Ku Klux Klan, was founded. It wasn't founded in Alabama. The second leg of the KKK was founded in Alabama. The first ever leg of the KKK was, be, was started in my state, in Pulaski, Tennessee. Nathan Bedford Forrest. That, folks, is a time in which people were lynched, hung from trees, till they were dead. Um, they were called the N-word. The KKK burned crosses in people's yards. Um, they used blackface. There were minstrel shows hate crimes, four little girls were burned alive in a church. It escapes me where exactly that was. Was that in... I thought it was Alabama. I was thinking it was Alabama. The four little girls that were in a church between the ages of like seven and nine, right? very young. Um, they were burned up just because they were black. That is overt racism. That is what we consider racism with a big R. Overt racism is what you think of when you think of what Martin Luther King Jr. fought against. Mm. So when people make posts about Martin Luther King Jr. and what he thought and what he would have done that they're referring to overt racism. That was what he was combating. But there's so much more. It's so much more insidious than how it seems on the outside. Right. And so that other half of it, um, I actually don't want to use the word half because I don't think it's clear cut like that. But the other side of it is covert racism. Um, and I think people like to make comparisons sometimes of like, well, overt racism is worse than covert racism. And I don't think it's as easy to say that that's true um, because the word insidious that you used, Alex, is really key, I think, to understanding what covert racism means because I mean, it's kind of like trauma. So like you can have very clear traumatic events that can affect a person, give them PTSD. You can also have complex trauma, which is maybe smaller things that happen over the course of time that lead to also PTSD, but one that is sometimes even harder to get rid of and unlearn. Um, and so this covert kind of racism 
it gets into a person's bones. It gets yeah. deep in there, in their psyche, so that they perhaps don't even re- realize it. In their DNA. In even. their DNA, yeah. Like, yeah. actually, scientifically, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. Um, and that's true both for the racists and for the people who are victims of racism. Oh, yeah. I like, mean, some, some ways in which covert racism kind of uh, work their way, they kind of weed their, worm the little way into our lives, is when people blame black people or people of color for not being hired at jobs or just any kind of hiring discrimination. Um, Another one is tokenism, like the way in which uh, POCs and black people just in general are kind of used, like we'll make sure that there's one of you, but not more than one. And we're going to like keep all of our judgment and all of our needs onto this one person. Mm-hmm. That's covert racism. Yeah. But, like not having people of color, like as actors on TV shows, like not promoting or reading books or information by or about people of color. Um, just that erasure. And, you know, in the moment when something like that happens, nobody dies. Nobody's physically hurt, usually. But the repetition of these things that is constant, it builds up, it leads to more violence, it allows and enables the attitude and the environment in which police brutality flourishes, in which, in which it's okay. Like maybe in individual instances we'll be like, Oh, like that police officer shouldn't have shot that person, but it's so normalized. And, you know, even the history of the police, like police are exactly derived from slave patrols. That was the origin of policing in the United States. I think even for the KKK, it was the same. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why like this insidious need to police people of color, that's just baked right into the origins of policing. Um, So that that combination of covert and overt racism has led to the environment that we have today. Yeah. And then people are going to say, oh, well, there are black people and people of color in the, in the police. So they're not racist. That's tokenism, folks. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the covert. Yeah. But the overt of it is when they teach the every cop or most cops to have racial bias. Mm-hmm. Racial bias isn't like you said baked into the fabric of policing from the from its from its onset till now, and it's so insidious that it just worms its way into the fabric of everything that has to do with the way communities are policed, especially communities of color. Yeah. And, you know, it becomes this sort of like, it becomes this honor system between cops where when good cops or cops that mean to do good, when they see something and they try to say something, they're silenced and there's retaliation. Mm -hmm. So they don't, they don't say anything. And I've seen it said on, on social media, if you have a thousand bad cops and a hundred good ones and the hundred don't say anything, then you have a thousand and one hundred bad cops. Right. <laughs> um, 
that's not to say we know that every cop isn't bad. But the institution of policing is steeped in racism and white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And those systems that this country was built on work like pipelines to funnel people into different places. Like, you know, people who grow up in poverty, not regardless of their, their race, they end up being funneled into welfare or funneled into um, a path where they can't go to college mm-hmm. or funneled into a low, um, uh, a place where people who are low income have to go and live. It's not because that's what they want. It's just those are the opportunities that are presented to them. Exactly. And this happens to poor whites. This happens to poor people of color. And you just get funneled into these sort of communities that are sort of like um, really aspirating on their own, on their own breath or, you know, aspirating on the own welfare that has been given to them. Um, And it causes them to have, lack of opportunity and when lack of opportunity happens people turn to things like drugs selling drugs and taking them people turn to professions like prostitution because they don't have any other viable options in their lives other than being homeless and destitute so when people say Things like, oh, well, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's covert racism right there. Yep. Because every person doesn't have the same opportunity. Some of us are starting out behind the finish line. Behind the finish line. Behind the start line. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that policing works, like because of its history and because of just the norms that you were just describing, communities of color are policed much more heavily yeah. than white neighborhoods. So, I mean... We know this. We know that drug use is just about the same between like white communities and black communities. And yet, because police were more present among especially black people um, and the places where they live in a higher population, even though those people might be going to white neighborhoods to sell, the white neighborhoods are not policed. So they don't get arrested. So it's actually that communities of color are the ones who are punished for drugs. So this is how racism shows up in the world, but how does it show up in the church? (laughs) (laughs) Heavy sigh. How much time do you have? (laughs) I I can think of one right off the top of my head. Yeah. In the homilies. Can you talk more about that? Yes. So, um, so, when, pre- when priests are giving homilies, that's the one time during mass where, where, where they can sort of like go off script, I guess, or off prayer um, into something that they want to share with the faithful, right? Mm-hmm. And so recently, recently we, me and Aaron were at a mass and uh, it, the homily was not about the gospel at all. And it ended up, ta- the priest who was giving the homily just went into this whole, like, all cops aren't bad, and all, basically it was an, what, how would you describe it? I would describe it as addressing recent issues with the 
erasure of like how racism plays into it. And yeah, it was more like apologetics for cops. Right. Yes. And there was no talk about the sanctity of George Floyd's life or how racism is a pro-life issue or anything like that. It would just seemed like, honestly, someone was like talking about politics from the pulpit, which doesn't seem appropriate to me. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. Agree. Yeah. Like that's, it's really not the place for it. It's polarizing. It divides, which is against what Jesus asked for in his last prayer. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I mean, like how, how did it make you feel? It, well, it caused me to sin. It made me, I was infuriated and my anger while justified, it made it so that I, couldn't concentrate and I let myself get even more angry and even more angry, which is where like the sin part comes in. And then I couldn't focus on the Eucharist, um, which was a huge, a huge affront, I'm sure, um, to God. And in, in a sense, you know, I'm sure he also understands that we're human, but that felt like I was, that felt like in hindsight, an affront to God to not be able to control my anger, to focus on the Eucharist. And so that is a huge way in which it affected me. And I could just tell from the way that the priest was talking from previous conversations that we'd had with him, that he has some prejudices against black people and that, you know, he comes from a family that has that as well. Um, And then it just showed up in the homily and it just was so clear to me um, that it was, it was covert racism. Yeah. And, You know, a lot of people right now who are giving advice about how to, like, address the erasure of, like, the issue of racism and, like, the evil of racism, people who are giving advice are saying, you know, talk to your pastor, talk to your priest, explain where you're coming from and your own experience. And what we found when we we tried to do this is a total shutting down of it. So that, I think, is perhaps even when that becomes more overt... And we don't have answers about, you know, what to do when your priest says, I don't care about your experience. Yeah. And also when the same priest posts All Lives Matter on Facebook, then we try to, as Aaron, you pointed out, peacefully protest by responding respectfully to the to the uh, post and kind of talking about why there's an error in that logic. Then we got our comments deleted and we were unfriended by the priest of our parish. So that was the response from the person that stands in the person of Jesus Christ during the mass. So that to us is a really clear way that racism shows up. Um, And not only shows up in a way that is like, you know, maybe, maybe white priests, white people, don't know the issues. Mm. Um, it's more than that. It's um, a, a digging in of the heels when that issue is brought up. So it's like, yeah, I, I'm racist is what the the church is saying. And I'm going to continue to be racist. I'm making that choice. Yeah. And it's a willful ignoring of the plight of some of the sheep of your flock. Right. And, you know, it, it was bad for many, many other reasons that we won't get into for the pod, for the podcast. Um, but, you know, it brought up a lot of other things for us too. thinking about thinking about racism in the church. And 
you know, I think it was you that mentioned the lack of representation of in paintings of, of saints and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we look around and all the saints that we see are, are white. Yeah. All of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the ones that are not white are depicted as white. Right. Uh. And our Lord and lady. Yeah. Like, I mean, Aaron, you're, you're a white Catholic. Mm-hmm. And an ally, like what? How, how, what? What's your take on, on the lack of representation, of black saints and black blackness and just POC stuff? It's infuriating, and something that I think of immediately is the apparitions of Our Lady, um, and how she always looks like the people to whom she's appearing, like a, an apparition that a lot of people sadly don't know about. Um, is before the Rwandan genocide, um, Our Lady appeared as a black woman. Wow. Yeah, it's Our Lady of Kibeho. I I had no idea about this. Yeah, she warned about the Rwandan genocide. And we don't know because we don't see those depictions. Are you serious? Yeah. (gasps) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. People don't talk about it. We don't see those depictions of her. We, We only see certain depictions of Mary. As like either a white woman, often as um, Our Lady of Guadalupe, um, and like yeah, there she is depicted as a native woman in what is now Mexico. But yeah, like why don't why don't we see Our Lady as black? Why didn't I know that Our Lady appeared to people in the race that they are? Why didn't I know that till just this moment? You didn't. No, not really. Wow, see, that's, I mean, that tells us more. Not fully. Like, Like, I saw a post about it on Instagram earlier today, but I was like, oh, I don't, I didn't really, like, pay much attention to it. But now that you're telling me this, it's, like, really fully connecting. Because she's our mother. And she, (laughs) she wants to say, like, I am your mother. Like, I look like you. I am, I'm with you. Behold, I'm your mother. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She's so good. She's so good. And why would the Lord allow her? To appear to people the way that they look. He wants that. He desires that. Like Our Lady's will is completely conformed with Jesus's. So that's what he wants. That's what she wants. And I mean, Lord knows that he also wants us to have depictions of black saints, (laughs) saints of color, um, because they're so dear to his heart. They're looking upon his face right now. Yeah, and I, there's nothing in the Bible that says only the white saints are going to pour out their prayers onto the to the altar in heaven. Like, <laughs> like it's not that. All the saints. <laughs> um, so, so this, among so many other things, become this covert racism in the church. And there are so many stories um, uh, that Leticia Adams actually recently opened up her Instagram so that um, people, black Catholics in particular could post about racism that they'd experienced. Mm. Um, and so many of us were posting about things in the church that had happened to us. And it was really heart, um, disheartening to see that. Um, but then also really heartening to see how we all kind of banded together to say, yeah, I hear you. I see you. Um, and that we need more of that. We do. And we need to do something about it. So when you take all of this stuff together, all of these intricate little systems that we haven't even really scratched the surface of, we're going to talk about 
the interrelating, you know, interlinking systems of white supremacy in another episode. Mm-hmm. Because we could go on about it for hours. Yeah, and we will. <laughs> and we probably will. <laughs> but there's so much here that just cannot be explained by one death. George Floyd didn't choose to die. His life meant something. And it was taken from him. That wasn't a choice that he had. So it's incorrect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's incorrect to call him a martyr. Some people have been referring to him as a martyr. He's not a martyr. He's a victim of of police brutality and racism. So, you know, and I, I have to be honest, I'm having a hard time talking about this. Are you? I'm having a hard time talking about this. Yeah, it is hard because I think because of the ways that it's so pervasive. Yeah. But we think that it is important to keep talking about, especially in the context of faith, of yeah. Catholicism. Because, yeah. I mean, one one thing that describes why we're talking about it, even though it's hard, is because we have hope as Christians. Yeah. We do have hope. We know that we are not going to change anything. And the protests, as important as they are and as effective as they are in in passing laws, like even Brianna's law that was recently passed in Louisville, those things are not going to change people's hearts, are not going to end racism. The only person who can do that is God. Yep. And so that's why we want to talk about it. We want to be... We want this podcast to be an instrument of God to soften the hearts, especially of Catholics. We hope you're enjoying our conversation on racism and police brutality as a pro-life issue. Um, We're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation. Stay with us. So you have to ask yourself, what is the church? Is the church setting the pulse for something like this? Or is the church just following what the world has said? That's a question that I have. It's a good question. Either way, it's wrong. Yeah. And another question you have to ask yourself is, why does it make white Catholics so uncomfortable to think that the people that they see, the God that they follow, is not white. Why does that hurt you so much? Why does it bother you so much when people talk about police brutality? Why do you feel so inclined to say the three words that I hate to hear? Let's say it together. All All lives matter. matter. Oh, gosh. So, before we go on, I just want to say, if you're in this camp, like, if you are a person where we're saying, like, oh, we're annoyed at this, we're not meaning to attack you right now. No. We're really not, and I hope that you're receiving this. With, with an open mind and an open heart, and you understand that we're coming, especially, like, I don't want to speak for you, Alex, but it, it's a place of just, like, this constant 
inundation of racism in the church. So all the microaggressions. Right. Covert racism, another word for it is microaggression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what we're asking is that you receive these things, not as an attack, but as a real invitation to look into your heart and see where might I be wrong? This is a question I'm asking myself too. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Black people, black Catholics are not invaluable. People of color who are Catholics are not infallible, but we do have something valuable to say. Right. That people have not been listening to us. People have not been hearing us. And so have you, I have a question for anyone who may be listening. Have you ever heard something that the church was teaching you read about it or preset it or you heard about it in a homily whatever you read it you you saw it you consumed it and you were like i disagree with that wholeheartedly but because i'm a catholic and i choose to follow the church i have to try to understand why that is maybe it's something on catholic moral teaching around um uh same-sex attraction gay lesbian um marriage, uh, maybe it's something on, um, in vitro fertilization or, or anything like that. Any of these Catholic moral teachings that people, we all really struggle with a lot of us or just anything like a dogma or a doctrine that the church teaches. Has there ever been something that the church taught that you really, really didn't want to talk, like really did not want to agree with, but you gave the church the benefit of the doubt because you knew that she means to take care of us. I have. Me too. I still have them a lot of the time. And so if the answer to that question is yes, then I want you to bring yourself back to that place where you had a moment of humility where you said, you know, I don't really understand this. I really, really don't understand why I have to believe this. But you said, I'm going to try. That's what we're asking you to do. We're just asking you to try. We're not trying to convert you. We know we can't do that. Yeah. But we just want you to try. And we're asking this because Jesus prayed for unity. It's the evil one who tries to sow division. And as hurt as people are, we don't want division. No. So, so all lives matter. The all lives matter rhetoric. It's not okay. No. It makes everything worse, honestly. Maybe you've been saying it and you didn't realize how hurtful it is, but we're going to get into why it's hurtful. So, when you, Alex, you've said it really well before when you've said, all lives can't matter until black lives matter. That's true. So I mean, I've been thinking about it in terms of an analogy. Is it okay if I go through that analogy? Yeah. It's not perfect. Um, and it's not complete because I don't think any analogy can be. They're just a way to help you think about something that maybe is hard to conceptualize. So I'm thinking about like two buckets of water. And one bucket of water is like the white people experience. And the other bucket is things that black people experience just like in their lives. So since the establishment of the United States as a country, 
or like more accurately since white people started to colonize what is now the United States. White people have been having their bucket filled up with water consistently. Um, based on what black people have experienced in the United States since they were enslaved and brought to this country against their will, their bucket was not being filled up. They just missed hundreds of years of having anything poured into their bucket. Now, things changed, especially with the end of slavery, such that there was a little water trickling in. However, as water was being poured into that bucket, there were policies in place. Um, Jim Crow. Jim Crow. Oof, yeah. Um, and individual acts of racism. So both individual and systematic instances of racism that have punctured holes in the bucket. Sometimes they scrape out big things so that they're just like water leaking out in several places. Very often, water was scooped out of the bucket of the black experience and poured into the bucket of the white experience. So what we have right now is one bucket that has been consistently filled and is really doing fine. Another bucket that, yeah, it's being filled, but not at the same rate as the other bucket and water is pouring out. So it just doesn't have as much water in it. So if you are saying right now, all lives matter, what you're saying is that we should continue to fill those buckets, maybe at the same rate. So maybe there's a little bit of improvement, but we fill the buckets at the same rate. When we say black lives matter, what we mean is that we have a lot of repair work to do so that we can have actual equality. So what do we need to do? We need to first patch those holes in the bucket. We need to prevent any instances that can cause water to be scooped out. And we need to refill that bucket, maybe stop filling up the white bucket for a minute so that the other bucket can be filled to that same level. That's what Black Lives Matter means. Yeah. Wow. That was excellently said. I mean, and it, you know, I honestly, I don't have much to add to that analogy, except if, if even a moment of that analogy was lost on you, all you have to remember is that there are two buckets here. There's the bucket of the white experience, which we know is not the same for every person, but it is, it is, inherently different than the black experience. Mm -hmm. We know that the white experience bucket is full and that there are black brothers and sisters, your Catholic Christian black brothers and sisters are at the bottom of that black experience bucket and they are screaming out to you what Jesus said on the cross. They're saying, I thirst. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I thirst. So, if for no other reason, provide consolation to your black brothers and sisters because they are a part of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you console us, when you console one of the black brothers and sisters 
that are a part of the body of Christ, you console Jesus. Yeah. And when we console you, you, you we console Jesus. Exactly. And when all of us are in unity, we're unstoppable. Mm-hmm. But the evil one wants to keep us divided. Like you said, the evil one wants to wants us to squabble over my water versus your water and the bucket and the but the reality is, is that if Jesus was the person who was pouring the water in these buckets, how do you think he'd fill them? Great question. I'm just going to let that question sit there. Um, because I think it needs to work on people's hearts a little bit. It needs to work on my heart. Same. So... The all lives matter rhetoric is sort of like you're at, (laughs) it's sort of like you're at the hospital and you're in the cancer ward and they're having a benefit, um, like some kind of benefit or, or, um, gathering to champion people who have breast cancer. And be like, let's celebrate them. Let's celebrate the women who have breast cancer. Um, the people who have have breast cancer and have survived. And then you march into that benefit concert or that little party or gathering. And you say, all cancers matter. All ca- Every cancer is important. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you right now, my mama was diagnosed with breast cancer last year. Thanks be to God that she's in remission one year last month. Wow. Actually the month before that. Can't believe this for real. I know. Hmm. I tell you one thing, if somebody marched into my mama's house while she was undergoing radiation for her tumor, I and they said to us, all cancers are important. You Truly, I say to you, there would have been unrest in that house. Do you understand? Truly, Truly, I say to you, there would have been unrest in that house. (laughs) Uh, So that's what All Lives Matter rhetoric does. It's damaging to the people who are telling you that I thirst. Yeah. I'm bleeding out. I'm bleeding out. (laughs) And. We can make an analogy, and oh, this is my last one. I'll stop. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll throw all the analogies at you. This is our analogy portion of the episode. <laughs> no, but okay. Think of COVID right now. Right. We're fast tracking a vaccine. Nobody's coming in here to say all vaccines matter. <laughs> like, wait, we got a problem. All viruses matter. <laughs> all every virus matters. Like, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. They do. All viruses matter. We know that. But which one is killing everyone right now? Exactly. COVID. Yeah. So all lives matter. Yeah. But which people are dying right now? Mm-hmm. Black ones. Right. That's why it is damaging. So what message does it send when we as Catholics or other Christians say all lives matter what does it what does it do if we are jesus's hands and feet on earth and we say to people who are crying out from the bottom of their empty parched bucket saying i thirst what message does that send not only to other catholics and christians but to the wider world at large 
The only thing I can think of that it says is the same thing that the people were saying to Jesus when they gave him vinegar to drink on the cross. Yep. That's what it says. You're hurting. I'm going to step on your wound. I'll give you vinegar. I'll give you sour wine. I'll give you something that won't quench it, but that maybe make it worse. Mm. All lives matter is not a balm or a salve to the wound. It's salt. When you say Black Lives Matter, that lets a Black Catholic or a Black person know that this is a person that cares about my life. Mm. That this is a person that would fight for my life, too. And when I when they fight for my life, it makes me want to fight for theirs. Right. And honestly, just because like I know you and I know you're a good person, I know that you're going to fight for that person's life anyway. Yep. Even if, like... I know you don't consider them your enemy. I know you don't. No. But when you're actively hurt by them, you're going to go fight for their life. I do. Which and is And incredible. I would. Yeah. But that's because that's what Jesus told us to do. There you go. It doesn't matter if I don't like it. Right. That's tough. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's tough. That is tough. You know, uh, it's not easy. It's, it's not easy to turn my cheek when someone slaps me and turn the other one and let them slap me on the other one. But that's what he told me to do. But I'm telling you that you have the ability to affect change in a person's life right now and today just by striking this one phrase from your lexicon. You don't even have to say Black Lives Matter. If you just don't say All Lives Matter, it would do a world of good. Truly. Like, (laughs) it would do a world of good. If you just took the blinders off and you said, I see you. I care. I love you. What happened was awful. I don't understand, but I want to. Mm. That's enough. That's more than enough. Yeah. No one's asking you to go to a protest or make a sign or any of that stuff. We're just asking you to remember the sanctity of these folks' lives. George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, Ray Shard Brooks, and the myriad of others. Yeah. No shortage of people. Like, Do some research. Read about these people. Read about their lives. And then the next time you're talking to someone who's a black Catholic or someone who just does not belong to any faith at all, someone who looks different than you, Think about how am I loving this person right now? Yeah. Is what I'm saying, what I'm doing, is that the kind of love that Jesus would have shown? Yeah. Do you think that if a black man or woman or person, Catholic or otherwise, was being killed right before Jesus, whether they were guilty or innocent, what do you think he would do? Do you think he would scream all lives matter at them? Make a face, make a Facebook post, a Facebook post, (laughs) (laughs) make a Facebook post, unfriend someone they disagree with. He disagreed with. Say, we don't know all the facts. We didn't see the whole video. Maybe it was justified. Do you think 
taking another person's life under any circumstance is something that ever should be celebrated. I mean, in Genesis 9, 6, Scripture says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Anytime a person is killed, we're killing something that was made in the image of God. Mm. And you can argue about whether something's justified all day. But the fact still remains is that when you shed the blood of a man, a woman, or any person, that you are shedding the blood of someone who is made in the image and likeness of our God. And that's true. That's not facts or fe- that's not feelings. That's facts. Right. Written down. That's that is facts, truth, and nothing about feelings. So the catechism isn't silent on it either. Right. Yeah. So if you look at the catechism, um, 1935, it tells us the equality of men rests essentially on their dignity as persons and the rights that flow from it. And it goes on, every form of social or cultural discrimination and fundamental personal rights on the grounds of sex, race, color, social conditions, language, or religion must be curbed and eradicated as incompatible with God's design. Incompatible with God's design. They're not mincing words here. Nope. That's facts. That's Mm -hmm. not feelings. (laughs) And in 1938, it also goes on to say, there exist also sinful inequalities that affect millions of men and women. So stuff that's happening right now that the catechism acknowledges. Sinful inequalities. It goes on. These are an open contradiction of the gospel. Wow. So if we're not fighting these things, or at least acknowledging them, then we too are standing in open contradiction of the gospel. I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you. (laughs) But uh, the person who's listening, I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to stand in open contradiction to the gospel. I wouldn't dare. No, no, no. I wouldn't dare. So, so we say all of these things not to condemn other people, not to judge them. It's not our job. No, no, nope. no right, none, no, nope. not even to change your mind, but just to ask you to consider what the faith that we subscribe to is actually teaching, mm-hmm. and whether your political or personal viewpoints do they line up with the faith that you that you follow Mm. um ask yourself not what would jesus do because jesus is alive jesus is right here what is jesus doing what does he think right now ask yourself what's he saying what is he saying in the living word Mm. are you spending time in scripture and reading about the sanctity of life or are you just listening to you know People talk about the unborn. Like, are you actually reading the source? And so having talked about all of these things and 
maybe considered some of them. It kind of leaves us on a couple of questions. Um, What can you do as a Catholic to maintain a pro-life stance um, in the midst of racism? And how can you love people well during this time of racial injustice? So our first point of suggestion for you, it's three parts, so please pay careful attention. Um, Part 1A is listen. Okay, got that? Okay, good. We're moving to part 1B. Listen. (laughs) There's one more. I don't... Um, we're not done yet here, friends. <laughs> Part one seat. Listen. <laughs> so, yeah, like, if you, especially if you're a white person right now, please listen to what people of color are saying, especially black people right now, because they are the ones who are, are experiencing suffering and hurt. So it's okay if you don't talk. You can just listen right now. Yeah. And... Um, if you're a black person or a person of color right now and you're trying really hard to be patient with those who maybe don't understand the full extent of what's happening, you also should listen. But also listen to the rhetoric that people are using when they talk about you and people like you. Be patient with our white brothers and sisters who don't fully understand um, the insidious, the insidiousness of certain things that they maybe say or do or believe. Give them mercy and forgive them their trespasses as the Lord forgives ours. Knowing what I know, it won't be easy, but we have to try. And just be aware that Learning about things like racism, it takes time for people to adjust. So give your white brothers and sisters a chance to actually adjust to this like shifting paradigm that should have shifted hundreds of years ago. But give them some time to really let it sink in. Don't shout them down if they get it wrong. Gently correct and let the Lord do the rest. And if you're a white person, accept that correction. And believe what people are telling you. Yeah. Next thing you can do is read scripture. It's so important. Revisit the Gospels. Think about what Jesus said. What he did. um, The way that he listened. The way that he asked questions. And emulate that. Next thing you can do is just be there with your black brothers and sisters be a a shoulder they can lean on be there while you're listening to them be a support and try to instead of asking you know what can I do how can I fix it I mean first of all you can't you can do individual things but look for ways look for things that you can do take the burden on yourself yeah in a similar way that Simon, the Cyrenian, mm-hmm. helped Jesus carry his cross. White brothers and sisters in the church, your black brothers and sisters' cross is very heavy. So we need help carrying it. It's a great, great way to describe it. 
Stand up for your black brothers and sisters. If you see something, speak up and say something. Don't just sit there. If a priest gives a racist homily or does something or says something wrong, gently correct. Don't leave the onus of it on your black brothers and sisters. Stand up for injustice. This includes if you are in a space where there are only other white people. Sometimes that emboldens people who have racist tendencies to say things that are overtly or covertly racist. That is a time when you especially need to speak up. Oh, yeah. Not especially, but like, I, I feel like every time is especially. No, but I think especially your instinct to especially speak up when black people are not around is actually a good one because it's not performative, right? Mm. You're surrounded by, I mean, I, one of my friends is a critical race scholar and he, his main, his major work, he's a white, a white man and his major work is educating other white people on white fragility white guilt, all of these things, because black people shouldn't have to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and when he's in spaces with other white people, he speaks up and it reminds them, um, that just because there are no black people around us, that doesn't mean that, that the rules go out the window and common decency doesn't reign supreme. You know, he doesn't let injustice go just because there's no one there to see it. Right, because it's a change of heart. It's not a change only of behavior. Right. If your heart has changed, then you're not going to have these impulses to be racist when there are no people who you put a press around. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and consume news, especially hard things. I mean, do it to whatever extent you can that will not be bad for your mental health. But do it so that black people don't have to explain everything to you. Um, keep yourself updated about what's happening in the world and monitor your own social media and correct those around you if, if you feel moved to do that. Mm. Especially if you are a white person or a person of color who is not black. If you see somebody just like going off on Facebook, take the burden on yourself to respond to them in a, a way that is you know well-researched and kind and gentle but just like imagine the labor that black people are having to take on right now like just to, to survive and to like get up and read the news every day and see people who look like them being murdered um to then have to go and like defend themselves on facebook like they don't need to do that that's a way that you can help yeah and I mean, follow some different accounts. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you're on Instagram, follow um, Blathlix. Mm -hmm. Aaron told me about that one. Follow, you know, some black Catholic people. Not so that they can educate you, but so that you can have some variety in your timeline and your feed. Read some books that, that you maybe wouldn't have picked up by a black author. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like educating yourself right now is a huge thing that you can do. And there are resources out there. There are podcasts, there are books, there are documentaries. And the, one of the good things right now is that so many people are curating lists of this content so that you don't even have to find them. Um, 
And Alex has a couple of resources to offer. I do. So we're going to link a copy of the a PDF of this handout in the show notes. Um, but what to read. These are some things that you can read to sort of uh, bring you up to speed on the current crisis that we're facing uh, in terms of racism in the world and in the church. Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates, How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, can't recommend that one enough, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, such such a pro-life text, talking about the inherent dignity of those of us who are on black, on uh, death row, mm-hmm. especially those of us that are black. But those of us who are on death row, he he's a, a real person, and he fights for um, people who are on death row. Um, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. Really good. Um, now, if you have littles, um, ages 13 to 17, that's, I guess, teens, but all kids are littles to me, so <laughs> whatever. But um, Stamped. Racism, Anti-Racism, and You by Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. If you have uh, kids that are 9 to 12, um, One Crazy Summer by Rita Williams Garcia. If you have really littles, um, 5 to 8, um, there's a book by Jacqueline Woodson called Each Kindness, um, ages 3 to 5, um, Last Stop on Market Street by Matt De La Pena. Um, there are tons of things to watch, podcasts listen to, uh, media to follow, um, one documentary or two, two, one documentary that I can, uh, tell you to watch that I can't recommend enough is 13th by Ava DuVernay. It's on Netflix. It's amazing. And, uh, the Netflix miniseries when they see us also by Ava DuVernay. Uh, all, and both of them are really good and they do the work to talk about, um, sort of the way in which implicit bias um, really seeps into the, the fabric of, of American um, culture and how it becomes that covert racism and those kind of pipelines and systems that, that me and Aaron were talking about earlier in the episode. So all of these, these are resources that um, you can look at to kind of further your education. Um, also, it's important to note that we don't speak for these authors and these authors don't speak for us. So if you don't agree with something in the book or the show, that's fine. These are just some places to start. And you should actually do the the work of of kind of Googling and seeing what things you might want to read yourself as well. This is just a place to start. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would also add, like, try to read some fiction. Like, we're both fiction writers. um, And I think you can really learn a lot about humanity and compassion and empathy by reading fiction. So read some Black authors. Toni Morrison. She's great. She's my favorite. <laughs> She's real good. Um, so our last little segment of this episode is where we tell you about one piece of good content that we have consumed recently. Do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Thank you. Um, so the piece of content I'd like to share is from in a podcast from NPR. Um, it's called Throughline. It's a history podcast. And this episode is called American Police. It ties in nicely with a lot of what we talked about today. It talks about the history of policing. Uh, so, yeah, I hope that you will learn from that if you look it up. Yes. Um, 
I have two pieces of good content that I'm going to share with you, actually. Ooh. So I'm breaking the rules. It's a good thing. Um, one of them is a podcast. Um, it's the Trevor Noah podcast. It's so good. You can find it on Luminary Media. Uh, it's a podcast app. Um, I'm not sure if it's on Apple uh, or iTunes or anything like that. But um, if you just Google it, it should come up, the Trevor Noah podcast. He talked about, there was an episode where he talked about how protest works. And I think that that was really useful um, for me as someone who's interested in, in uh, why, why people are protesting. Um, the second piece of content is this amazing movie that I love. It's a Hallmark movie. <laughs> uh, and it's called Loving Leia. It's it's a romance. It's a rom com, but it's 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 so good. It's excellent content, and it just I just I love love, and I love watching movies about love, and it's really good. So check it out. It's called Loving Leia, and that's L E A H, like Leah, but mm. she's Jewish, so it's Leia. Mm. Sounds good. Thanks for those. So yeah, so that wraps up what we have to talk about today. Uh, thanks for sticking with us through a longer episode. Um, but this is important. <laughs> so we wanted to give it a fair shake, give it um, its due. Yeah. Yeah. So we will see you on the next one, episode three. Um, check out um, us on social media. You can find me at the handle at the loudflower. So it's at underscore the loudflower underscore. And you can find me on Twitter at Florzinia1897. I think that's my handle. We'll put him in the show notes because <laughs> I'm not exactly sure that I got my handle correct. Yeah, we don't we don't look ourselves up, so we don't know our handle. Exactly. <laughs> so we'll put our we're put our insta uh, our insta and so other social media handles in the show notes. Um, thank you so much, y'all, and we hope we see you on the next one. God bless. Have a good one. Please don't go. I need you so. I'm thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Big Content. And we hope that if this podcast was something that you found valuable, exciting, or even a little bit funny, that you'll share it with a friend. And join us next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.